Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, and today it also includes the Bitcoin Breakout. We're going to be talking about privacy today with Gabriel Custodier on uh, kind of a really high level, but I, I think that even though today's uh, discussion comes from the Bitcoin angle and how to be more private with your use of Bitcoin, that it's really about privacy as a whole, and I think that'll become very apparent toward the end of our discussion today, that there's a lot of things that people allow to leak out about their activity and what they do and who they are. And if you don't believe that the governments of the world, and specifically our government and the Western governments, are creating dossiers on literally every human being, I, I don't think you've been paying attention. In fact, if you if you were to go to the survivalpodcast.com and search for the word dossier, I think you would find a very old episode, a very old episode that might drive home how true that is. So we're really talking about using privacy tools in relation to Bitcoin today, but you'll find that a lot of the privacy tools that are necessary to make those privacy tools work are just general everyday privacy tools. I also want to give a disclaimer today that you will hear this discussion happen in real time, so I don't really need it, but I want you to be aware of it, um, especially because some people maybe listen to half a show and don't get the whole thing. Some of the things we talk about doing today, you may not want to do with your Bitcoin, or you may not want to do with certain portions of your Bitcoin, or you may not want to do with any portion of the Bitcoin you already have, and you may want to begin anew with Bitcoin that comes in through non-KYC means in the future, and you may want to, uh, to bifurcate that into two different worlds. Or you may not want to do it at all, but you should know, you should know the stuff that we're going to talk about today, because privacy is an innate human right, in my opinion, and it's being violated every day by your government. And I don't care if you're an international listener. If you have enough sophistication that where you are, you can listen to this podcast, your government's violating your privacy on a daily basis, because that's what governments do. Anyway, before we do that, let's get into uh, thanking our sponsors for help supporting the show. Sponsor of the day number one today is Ridge Wallet. Now, Ridge Wallet, for those that are new to the show... It's not a new hardware wallet for Bitcoin. It has nothing to do with Bitcoin. But we talk, we're talking about privacy today. I want you right now, if, you, if you're not driving, you can do this. If you are driving or your boss might be looking at you and doesn't know you're listening to a podcast. Otherwise, I want you to right now get your wallet or, or your purse or whatever, you know, wherever you carry your, your identity and your credit cards and everything. And I want you to just take your credit cards out. And for some of you specifically, the, identi the ID card that they call a driver's license that your state issued to you. And I want you to look, and there'll be some sort of little chip or tag in there, RFID, okay? And that's actually a security risk. You know how when you go somewhere and you're going to pay and you, you, just, you just tap it and it knows? Well, that means that that, that, that your little card it, it communicated with that computer. There's equipment that you can buy for like 20 bucks on eBay that you can go around just basically wanding people's butts and, and handbags and stuff and get tons of information, including payment information that way. Now, if your, if your ID, your credit card, etc., was encased in little sleeves of titanium, guess what? That ain't happening. And that's why I really recommend that you look for a product like Ridge Wallet. And if you're going to look for a product like Ridge Wallet, why not get the Ridge Wallet? They've been a sponsor of this show an awful long time. They've also turned into a hell 
of an EDC comp company. And it, it, a lot of people, it was an EDC, because you're the Bitcoin side only, not the TSP side, right? Um, EDC is everyday carry. Lots of really cool stuff. They also do 10% off on everything if you're one of my members for my member support brigade. And there's a lot of cool shit over at Ridge Wallet that would make great Christmas presents. And guess what, guys? We're about 60 days from Christmas today. 60. Did that wake you up? I hope so. Um, so check them out. Next up, you know what I would love to get for Christmas? I, you'd have to be a really good friend uh, to do this for somebody, though. A butcher box subscription. Right? Maybe you want to get it for yourself, though. You know how good butcher box is? Butcher box is so good that as I record this intro, I'm sitting here still with the taste of ground bison that I got from butcher box that was mixed with bacon and blue cheese. And I'm thinking, I wonder, I think there's one more of those sliders left over in the refrigerator. And as soon as I'm done with this, I'm going to go eat it because it's, it's that good. No, I'll tell you how good it really is. I, I accept meat as payment from ButcherBox. So the only sponsor that it, I do a straight barter agreement with. I've never taken a dime from ButcherBox. I have a certain amount of meat credited to my account that I receive every month just like a regular customer. I love them that much. And if you give them a try, you'll see why. They're great. And if you're an MSB member, 10 bucks off every box forever. That's If you do a box a month, which is most common for people, that's $120 a year on my membership product, which is 50 bucks. So great sponsor, great MSB supp uh, supporter, and great supplier as well. Good stuff. So check them out. With that, let's get on into this and uh, welcome our special guest. And with that, I want to say, hey, Gabriel, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast and the Bitcoin Breakout. Hey, Jack, how's it going? It's going good, man. Hey, um, I am not a, a great practitioner of the Latin language. Of course, I guess we don't know how it was pronounced because everybody that spoke it is dead. But the last name that you use is uh, Custodiet, I think is the close to the way to say it. I recognize it is from the, uh, the Latin phrase for who will watch the watchers. Uh, so what made you pick that as kind of your pseudonym? Well, I've, I've never said it's my, my pseudonym. Um, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, okay. so I, I, I do believe that, and you may have noticed this, that certain people who have a name, they live into that name over the course of their life. And, you know, I, I think that's just the case with me. But the phrase you're, you're mentioning, uh, who watches the watchers, um, which uh, there's some weird stuff happening in the translation there, but we, we know what it means these days, which is we have all these people who have power over us in, in all these various ways. And the power that we have is watching them, right? That's that's one one thing we have. And so, of course, that's what I try to do with my podcast, you know, Watchman Privacy Podcast, and some of the other stuff I do is simply to talk about the technocracy, however we want to describe it, um, in a way that helps to fight back against it through privacy practices. And I think that's something that is not emphasized enough. And so that's kind of what I started out to do. Excellent. So let's start off with the, the I mean, going straight into kind of the main reason I have you on today to talk about using Bitcoin uh, more privately, because it's one of the criticisms uh, that we hear that it's not a privacy coin. It's a surveillance coin or what have you coming straight out of the gate. You and I've heard you say this in, in some other discussions that you say that Bitcoin is incorrectly used by most people. What do you mean when you say that? Yeah, so, uh, of course, the first thing I'm talking about is uh, not the 99% of people who are using Bitcoin through a, a KYC exchange, right, such okay. as Coinbase. Um, of course, if you're doing that, you, you have to know that 
That is not private. You're giving your information just like you would a bank in order to sign up for that service. And that information is undoubtedly tied to that Bitcoin so that when you use it in the future, there are ways to sever those ties. But from a base level, when you use Bitcoin that has been attached to your name, um, you are, you know, you've lost privacy. Um, Of course, part of this demographic is also people who don't actually own Bitcoin. Um, They have they read this uh, Forbes article of the best 12 ways to buy Bitcoin. And it says buy this ETF. And, you know, Coinbase Pro and all these things where you're not actually in possession of the private keys of your Bitcoin, which is what I consider to be Bitcoin ownership. So I just think uh, from a, a base level, most people, um, they don't understand what it means to have a non-custodial wallet like a Sparrow wallet running on their desktop and owning the private keys and being the only one in the world that owns those things. So that's what I mean by that statement. Okay, so that's. That is unfortunately most people. I think people like myself have been screaming, not your keys, not your coins for so long. We, we even stopped doing it at times because we're, we're tired of trying to explain it. But I have good friends who have significant wealth built up in Bitcoin because they, they did, they were the people that actually did listen early on. And, and I've had some as recently as a few weeks ago that owed me some money want to pay me through Coinbase. And there just seems to be nothing I can say or do that will make these people understand get your your Bitcoin off the exchange, not just privacy wise, but I mean, there's other risks to that, are there not? Oh, for sure. So I think most people have heard of uh, breached data and online accounts. All of your online accounts um, are protected supposedly by that company. And we've seen Yahoo, we, we've seen every tech company out there. Uh, have leaks, have breaches, and that means that your credentials are flying around out there uh, for a short amount of time or a long amount of time, and they're on the dark web, and there are nefarious people out there. I had a client who uh, had their Coinbase account hacked, and it was simply because he was using a Yahoo email address, which had been in a breach a few years ago, and he never changed the password, and so these people found that list of credentials somewhere on you know online and it's not that difficult for people to do that and so they just uh, got into his yahoo account and then they reset his coinbase account because they have his login right his his email account so they reset his password now they're into his coinbase account so that's the first problem with using a kyc exchange is simply that it's a centralized authority that means that that center right has all of the supposed security they're they're the ones protecting this securing this and if something happens which it will then your uh your login credentials your details are exposed online or for example let's say that uh coinbase or something like this had a leak and uh suddenly your address and your name and the fact that you own 10 bitcoin is out there for somebody to give you a visit someday um uh, so that those are just a couple of reasons why, you know, KYC exchanges are not only not private, uh, but not secure. We've seen uh, in the past, several years ago, there was the uh, empty Gox incident where a huge amount of Bitcoin were stolen. So, uh, you know, the problem is there are so many breaches, so many leaks, so many vulnerabilities. The only way that you can protect yourself is for you to be the only one who owns your password, your account, et cetera. Um, and KYC exchanges are not that. They're not secure um, and they're certainly not private. And to me, KYC or not, if I'm holding on the exchange, there's, there's a couple of things that I'm risking. One is that, that breach that you just mentioned. The other is that exchange going defunct and my Bitcoin not really being there and or that exchange deciding that Jack Spearco's a bad guy. That he doesn't deserve access to his Bitcoin or getting a letter from the government that says Jack Spearco's a bad guy and doesn't deserve his Bitcoin and then basically freezing my account. 
and and I think we can segue right into the next thing I have for you because I think they play off each other well. You say that Bitcoin is the most radical form of money we have, and I think if you if you don't take heed on what we were just talking about, that stops being kind of true. Oh, totally, uh, com- completely. Yeah. So uh, if you're if you want to use Bitcoin as a radical form of money, you have to actually own your Bitcoin. So you have to have your Sparrow wallet or you know whatever wallet you're using and actually have the private keys actually possess your Bitcoin. As you said, we've seen, there's so many examples. I, I keep a running list of this, of the people who are censored, who are, we've seen PayPal do this, right? If you're using Coinbase as your Bitcoin ownership, uh, if, if you're trusting Coinbase to own the Bitcoins for you is the best way to put it, then of course Coinbase can play their politics. They can, uh, they can delay sending, uh, sending your Bitcoin to a self-custodial wallet that you have designated, right? They can, they can delay things for security reasons and all kinds of stuff. And they can outright censor you. And we saw with the trucker protests, the, uh, bless you, the trucker protests in Canada that a lot of these guys, I mean, to be fair, they, they didn't understand how, they didn't understand how Bitcoin worked. And so a lot of them were getting Bitcoin donations, which was supposed to be, you know, circumventing the system. But then they just went and tried to cash out, put it back on the Coinbase and they were caught. Um, because these KYC exchanges act like banks. Uh, and banks these days, unfortunately, are not trustworthy financial partners. They censor you. They'll block you. If you have conservative politics, if you talk about freedom or other of these uh, terrible, horrible things, uh, of course, they will censor you. And so you have to have your own Bitcoin if you are going to use it, if it is going to be a radical money. I, I agree. And I, I think part of what makes it radical is the um, uncensorable nature of Bitcoin, the, the way that it, you know, literally, even if the government does know I have a series of addresses and says, well, we want your Bitcoin, they can come after me. But as far as getting my Bitcoin, it's like, well, go ahead, take it. And that's not so easy to do. And the second that you lose that, a bit, that, that one line of defense, and I want to talk about some other lines of defense, but that first line of defense alone of, hey, if you want to try to guess the right atom in the universe and take my Bitcoin, go ahead. And it, it, as soon as we stop taking that personal possession of those keys, that just goes away, right? Well, l- l- let me ask you this question, Jack. Let's say that I was selling you some gold. Okay. Hold on one, one, one second. One second, Jack. No problem. Um, okay, so uh, let's say that you are, uh, let's say I'm selling you some gold and I say, look, Jack, um, we have this, you, I'm selling you this gold vault and uh, we're going to put your gold in there, but uh, I, I'm going to have a backup key and we're going to have, uh, you know, we'll have some people come by just every now and then check in, make sure, make sure everything's okay in there. But don't worry, this is yours, right? It's yours. It's yours. Um, would that actually be yours? Uh, and no, and, and, oh, and you want me to pay you to hold it for me too, right? Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, any analogy you want to use, um, obviously, if you don't, if you're not the only one with a key, then somebody else has a key and you're not the only owner. Now, let's let's dig in deeper into privacy. One of the uh, biggest criticisms that Bitcoin comes by is generally that um, it's not private. I, I've heard it called everything uh, from just a not private uh, currency to a surveillance coin. And I think that if you use it as poorly as possible. Surveillance coin may not be an overstatement. What does it actually take to make Bitcoin private or at least more private for individual users? 
Yeah, that's that's a good question. That, that's the real question. And I've been getting messages from people saying, well, how dare you talk about Bitcoin? You should be talking about Monero. There are reasons why we prefer Bitcoin to other things. And I mean, the most obvious reason is that it's the biggest one. It has the biggest network effect. There are thousands of these nodes running around the world. Um, so it, 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 it behaves as a decentralized, spread out money more than any of these other coins. And so for that fact alone, we should take um, we should be interested. Um, but in order to do Bitcoin privately, there's really three steps. You have to acquire it privately. You have to store it privately and then use it privately. And a lot of people will say, we'll, we'll only choose one of those. For example, they'll say, oh, well, I acquired it privately. And so um, and they'll forget that if you use it uh, moving forward and it's kind of complex how, how Bitcoin works and you get into UTXOs and, and some, some of this other stuff, but you have to take heed each step along the way. Now there are some tools that will help you do all of these things, right? Is it difficult to acquire Bitcoin privately? It's a little bit difficult. We can talk about the different ways to do that. Um, using Bitcoin privately can be made easier by using some of this excellent software. You know, you've had, you've had very smart people on here who are developing tools for Bitcoin. One of the best ones is the uh, the Samurai Whirlpool uh, technology, um, which is built into the Sparrow wallet, which is why I tend to recommend that. It's also built into the Samurai wallet. These are really the only two wallets that I tend to recommend people, uh, the Sparrow wallet and the Samurai wallet. And what you can do is you have your Bitcoin in your wallet, and then you can go through a process called whirlpooling, which um, you enter a group your Bitcoin, your chunk of Bitcoin enters a group with four other people and it's mixed around. And so it breaks the deterministic link, as they say, um, between your ownership, uh, what comes out on the input side and what comes out on the output side. So if you go through this cycle several times, you have Bitcoin that really is difficult to trace back to, to you. So we have these technologies built into these wallets. You just have to be aware of them in order to use them um, and then take a little bit of caution uh, yourself Um Using coin control. Now, I, I may have mentioned a few too many things there, so we can we can dig into any particular section. Yeah. Well, let's look at a few pieces of this, though. So, so first of all, for me, I like to be able to buy Bitcoin, and so I kind of have Bitcoin bifurcated into not, probably more than bifurcated, but for simplicity's sake, bifurcated into two forms. There's people that pay me in Bitcoin. There's Bitcoin that I acquire without having to pay cash out of the banking system for. And it goes into one group of buckets that I try to manage independently on their own UTXOs and their own wallets away from uh, Bitcoin went down. I have some extra cash flow this month. I want to buy $500 worth of Bitcoin. I'll grab it on strike. I do some things with that that we'll get into. I don't know that it's actually helping me at all. Uh, but I don't want to give up the ability to be able to buy Bitcoin for cash. And at the same time, I want to manage Bitcoin Privately, and I don't think those two worlds go together well. So I've separated them into two worlds. Is that a reasonable practice? Yeah, that's that's what that's what plenty of people do. And okay. um, w one thing we'll mention with that scenario. So uh, okay, so first of all, it is difficult to acquire Bitcoin privately, right? That that requires you going going to an ATM or finding somebody who has Bitcoin that's willing to accept a good or service or cash, which is Correct. not that easy. Or going through one of these online peer-to-peer -peer exchanges um, where you connect with uh, basically a stranger through a, a pretty safe uh, method of um, having an escrow on, on these websites. Um, so it's not that easy. Like it's not, oh, I want to buy Bitcoin. Bam, it's done. 
Uh, yeah. It takes some effort to acquire non-KYC Bitcoin, unfortunately. So uh, what a lot of people do is, and I'll applaud somebody like Coinbase for this, where you just log in and you have your, your banking credentials on there and you, and you buy. And it's nice and simple. Um, and so, but you're right that these are two different kinds of Bitcoin, KYC Bitcoin and non-KYC. And if you've acquired something privately, it's obviously in your interest not to combine it with Bitcoin that has been connected to your name because that can tie these things together. So it is wise to at least have two wallets separating uh, those two things. Is it helping me at all that like if I do that and I buy it from Strike, let's say I use Strike, which is a KYC uh, way to buy and pay with Bitcoin. I'll then pop that over to a Lightning wallet, actually a custodial Lightning wallet, but one without any credentials on it. So a non-KYC custodial Lightning wallet. Pop it over to a lightning node that I actually run with no direct identification. That's my lightning node. So now I've had two lightning transactions. Then I'll send that back over to an on-chain transaction to a UTXO that's separated from anything with my name on it. Does those steps in the middle of moving it through the lightning network do anything for me, considering that it came off a KYC exchange in the first place? Um, so there's two things to say. First of all, the, the thing that we should say with, with purchasing any KYC Bitcoin, the reason why, um, I've, I've never acquired any Bitcoin in a, in a KYC manner is because once you've done that, you are, you know, your markdown is, okay, this person has acquired Bitcoin. And okay. therefore, right? Therefore, this person is probably interested in Bitcoin. Therefore, this person has probably acquired Bitcoin in other ways. So you're immediately on a list of people, right? It's like, it's like you, you buy 100 private guns and then you have through a private sale and then you have one, one transaction where you go into a gun store and you do the background check and, and all the rest. Yeah. Well, suddenly they know you're, you're somebody interested it. in a gun, right? So if they visit your house one day, like thinking in a kind of a more of a, a tyrannical future, which sure. I'm, I'm fine doing, um, if they knock on your door, um, because you have one gun, well, they might find the other 100. And so it, it's important to realize that right, if you want to be pure about this, you might consider never acquiring KYC Bitcoin, or if you have, selling that KYC Bitcoin back to the exchange and uh, and starting over. But uh, what you've described now, I, I'll be the first to say that I am not um, I'm not total expert on all the steps of all of the uh, the great tools that we have with the Lightning Network, okay, and okay. etc. Because so I'll add one thing to that real quick for you. So actually, sure. when Go I ahead. buy when I buy Bit, when I say buy Bitcoin on Strike, I don't actually buy Bitcoin on Strike. You you can have dollars in Strike and initiate a Lightning transaction without ever actually purchasing the Bitcoin, and it arrives as Bitcoin on the other side in in Lightning form. So that's actually what I'm doing. So I'm not even actually making the purchase. But you're, I mean, as far as like, do I own Bitcoin? That horse is out of the barn for me. Like, I, I, I don't sure. know that I can go back on that anymore. Yeah. So as far as the Lightning Network and and Strike, these are these are all great tools. And what you've described is definitely going to scrub a lot. Um, is that going to be airtight? What I know, um, what I know, Jack and. The, the thing that I do is I, I can't spend all my time on Bitcoin. So I kind yeah. of boil down to the fundamentals. I can't keep, I can't keep up with all this stuff. So what I do is I, I tend to trust people I know in the community and the, okay. and the privacy Bitcoin community is not, um, they're not particularly enamel, enamored of the lightning network. Um, and so I could recommend some people to you who could probably explain why that is the case. Um, but I'm, I'm not, if, if I'm using private Bitcoin, I'm not going to be using lightning. I'm not going to be using strike. I'm going to be doing other things, but. I have no doubt that the uh, the method you've described is doing a whole lot. And you have to realize that right, your adversary is 
not always the omniscient person, right? Um, yeah. So yeah. You, there, there are stages of this. Uh, there are stages of this. And if you scrub a lot of the process, then you've protected yourself, uh, you know, maybe 99%. So that's also something to keep in mind. So can you talk to people about how to accumulate Bitcoin in an actual self-custodial wallet and what that even means? Yeah. So uh, a self-custodial or, or non-custodial wallet, as in nobody has custody but you, um, is is really the way to go. And a lot of people who are in Bitcoin, they they don't even know what this is. Um, and and it's pretty pretty astonishing to me, but fairly understandable given how much we rely on on the cloud and the internet and, and all these other things. And so what I recommend people do is go to uh, search for the Sparrow Wallet and download the Sparrow Wallet on your computer, Mac, Linux. Uh, PC, whatever you're using. And you now have a non-custodial wallet. You just go through the process, you create your seed phrase, and now you have a wallet. Now you can send and receive uh, Bitcoin. Um, and so that's, that's really the process. Now, that's easy. The difficult part is how do you get, uh, well, let's say, let's say, Jack, that you have your Bitcoin on Coinbase and you just don't want Coinbase to have it. You want to be the owner. So you could download the Sparrow wallet and create your seed phrase, save that, store it in all the proper ways and uh, go to Coinbase and send your Coinbase Bitcoin, some of it or all of it or whatever, to your Sparrow wallet. And now you are the only one with the private keys uh, owning that Bitcoin. So that's one small step that somebody can do to having sure it's it's still non it's still KYC Bitcoin. But you now own that as opposed to Coinbase owning that. So um, that's that's. Just the simple basic process. Uh, and the Sparrow wallet is one I, I recommend. The Samurai wallet is Android only. Um, it has some, some interesting features. If you're really into privacy, uh, Bitcoin, then you should get the Samurai wallet. But the Sparrow wallet is great because it, you can get it on any desktop and you can have your computer and maybe it's a computer that's isolated from other of your activities. And, um, you can kind of lock down your Bitcoin life. Yeah. I think one way or another, everybody needs some sort of a, Wallet where you hold the keys and nobody else does. Uh, you have the ones you recommend, and I think they're probably both great wallets. Um, but to me, anything anything beyond holding on an exchange is better than holding on an exchange. I agree. Yeah. So there are all. Um, Jack, am, am I echoing, or is that just in my own ears? It's in your own ears. You're, you're good on this end. Okay. So yeah, there there are all kinds of wallets out there where you have the private keys. Um, and just kind of research that and, and make sure that you do own the private keys. And if that is the case, then that is better than KYC exchange. But if you're doing that, you may as well use a really solid wallet that a lot of people in the hardcore radical, like the true Bitcoin community use, like the Sparrow wallet. Um, I, I might get some, I might, I might regret that if something does happen to the Sparrow wallet in the future, recommending it so much, but that's just the easy one to recommend right now. So can you talk about some of the other privacy tools where you obscure? Because I don't know that we can ever actually make Bitcoin 100% private. What we're doing is a form of obfuscation to create this lack of ability for an, an adversarial uh, entity to specifically say, I know Gabriel is linked to this address. Um, there could always be a speculation, but if we drop the percentile of, uh, of assurance down, that's kind of what we're doing. So how do, what type of tools are there to enable that? 
Yeah. So yeah. I'll keep it simple and I'll return to the Sparrow wallet. So you got your Bitcoin, however you got it, um, and preferably through a non-KYC way, just for example, an ATM, you put that into your Sparrow wallet. Now, when you're running your Sparrow wallet, what you should do is to uh, go to the their Whirlpool functionality. And I described that before. You're basically combining that Bitcoin with a group of other people's Bitcoin. And what's being spat out on the other side is um, there's no certainty that that came from your wallet to begin with, right? Um, and during that whole process, it's rather ingenious. The, the, the whirlpool is really the best privacy technology in Bitcoin. Um, you're never losing control of those coins, which is, which is amazing. And so what you can do is you can uh, go through that process. There's a small fee for using the whirlpool for the, the first time you use it, but then you can go through additional cycles for free. And so what a lot of people will recommend is to uh, go through 10, 20, 30, 50 cycles of that, just leave it running on your on your computer and go through a bunch of cycles. And what you have on the other end are these UTXOs, right? These um, these chunks of Bitcoin that have a tiny tenuous link uh, to your original um, your original contribution to that pool. Um, and so at that point, you can use those Bitcoin to send and buy things. Um, and the next step in this process is what's called coin control, which is that you want to be careful not to combine Bitcoin that you have used in uh, different transactions together moving forward. So the change that you get from a transaction, and you almost always get change from a transaction, uh, Sparrow labels that as, uh, it has its own category for that. That's toxic now. Um, and you should not use that. You should kind of save up and then go through another whirlpool just with that toxic change. And so, um, you, you need to be careful. You need to label, uh, your UTXOs, uh, along the way and just make sure that you're not combining, um, Bitcoin that you've previously used moving forward. It, it's a little bit complicated. There's a great video on YouTube that kind of explains what UTXOs are, what coin control is, how to spend privately. If you just search for um, what is coin control, uh, there's a great video. There's like a, a penguin icon. That's how you'll know you found the right video. And it's a 10 minute video and it's just a fabulous visualization of how a Bitcoin works. Because when we have in our wallet two Bitcoin, what we don't realize is that a lot of times We've accumulated that Bitcoin from various sources. So it says two Bitcoin, but it's actually maybe 17 chunks of Bitcoin. And each chunk is a UTXO. So that's its kind of its own, it has its own identity, um, in Bitcoin, which, which, which can be traced. And so the, uh, just using the basic features of a Sparrow wallet to kind of go back to basics, you get it into the whirlpool and you pull it as many times as you can. And then you just label it and be careful how you use it moving forward. And you're doing things pretty well. Um, at that point, let me see if I can ascertain something that might be going on here that is helpful. And, and, and that is, I have heard when people use things like coin join, it like sticks out on a blockchain. Really, obviously, that's a coin join transaction. And these five went in and these five came out. And look, all these are pretty close to the same amount of uh, uh, Bitcoin minus a little bit of fee. So this one is now that one. And then we could have a five year old that understands the concept do a a low end test where you draw, you know, which one connects to the other side. This seems to obfuscate that a great deal more. The other side of it is if I'm using this tech and and you keep saying UTXO. So one of the protocols we teach people is every time you do a transaction, use a new address and that creates all these different addresses or UTXOs. 
And so I have, let's say, a whole Bitcoin in a Sparrow wallet running this process, this Whirlpool. But it's actually 50 addresses. So when it comes out the other side, it may not be 50 anymore. So it, it can change that, um, that matching capability. Is that kind of what you're saying there? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. That that's how Whirlpool is working. So you you put you put all of your Bitcoin or however much you want into this pool, and what the pool does, the pool organizer essentially, um, it's it takes all of the coin that have been put in there by you and by these four other parties, and what it what it's doing is it's, it's spinning out um, chunks at the end. It's creating new UTXOs which are all of the same amount, right? So that that makes it more anonymous. They're all of the same amount. Um, it's okay. spinning out. It's creating new new UTXOs and spitting them out all of the all of the same quantity. So that's kind of how it's working. Gotcha. Okay, that that actually makes a lot of sense. Now, is there a reverse um, risk here? So one of the things that might happen to somebody who bought a bunch of Bitcoin on, let's say, Coinbase when it was like, oh, I don't know, 500 bucks. And then they go through this process and it obfuscates that Bitcoin and now it's all disappeared is the government might actually claim that you've sold it. And instead of trying to prove you don't own it, you could actually end up in the other situation like saying you do own it. You see what I mean? Like, is this maybe, maybe this process really, like you always already said, start with non-KYC Bitcoin. Uh, I think if you have KYC Bitcoin, kind of the horses out of the barn is what we say here in Texas. And, um, that may not be the best practice for that particular, uh, group of, of addresses. Uh, yeah. Say, explain that one more time, Jack, just so I understand. Just so let's say that, one more time. yeah, sure. Let's say that I went on, on Coinbase back in, I don't know, 2014, and I bought a bunch of Bitcoin. I, I bought a whole Bitcoin at $600. And then I run this process today where Bitcoin's at about 19 grand, and it makes my Bitcoin disappear, right? If there were, it, it, One of the risks with this type of analysis that the government's doing, the first vector of attack generally is the IRS, and the IRS could say, Mr. Spirico, we believe you sold that Bitcoin, and you owe us... Tax on $19,000. I could be in an exact opposite situation where I need to prove that I actually still hold that Bitcoin that I didn't, in fact, spend or sell it, creating a taxable event. So maybe the stuff that comes out of that pool in the first place doesn't need to ever go through this process in in, in some ways. Yeah, I I see what you're saying. That, That does make sense. So when you have your Coinbase Bitcoin and you send it to, let's say, your Sparrow, wallet. Well, there is a trace on the blockchain, uh, which the IRS does analyze that says, okay, so he put it into a, an address. We can't tell, we can't tell, they can't tell what address that belongs to, right? That they, they, they do not know whether that's a hard, hardware wallet or a software wallet or any other kind of thing. They just know that you sent it to another address. So they might have questions to you uh, about that. If you, if you still went through whirlpooling throughout this process and you have a history of that that you can show and say, look, this was just me. I was spinning it around. Um, yeah. I would, I would assume that that is proof enough that, okay, I'm you still in possession it. of this. Yeah. I, I would assume that, that that would be the case, but that's an interesting scenario to bring up. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I also think like in the future, there may be this place where you kind of want this lily white public Bitcoin and then this completely private Bitcoin over here for certain reasons. Like, Oh, I don't know. Leveraging uh, through, uh, through some sort of uh debt, 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 debt-based system, 
where, you know, like Michael Seller talks about loaning out your Bitcoin, uh, not loaning out your, basically borrowing against your Bitcoin as collateral into the future. I don't know if that's ever going to work, but it might be the case that you want some that is, uh, if it's going to, if it's going to globalize, and I think it is, you might want some that is, uh, pristine in the, in the view of the man and you want my, some that the man can't find or see at all. Just my thoughts on that. Um, well, I, I had a, I, I got a few things to say, which, which, um, to, to build off of that. So I, I totally agree with that. So if you are going through the privacy Bitcoin route and you're going to whirlpool your Bitcoin and you're going to keep them in, in non-custodial wallets and, and all this sort of thing, then yeah, some people will consider that suspicious. And if they're doing some kind of analysis, let's say you have your Bitcoin and you want to, you, you want it to buy a house in, in the future and a particular, that, that particular real estate company, they have, they hire some kind of chain analysis firm to look at the blockchain and they say, well, look, we, we noticed some suspicious things and we're not comfortable with any Bitcoin that has gone, undergone a whirlpooling, um, event. And so we're going to have to deny, uh, deny you that, you know, being able to buy the house, uh, that this, this kind of activity does happen. There are some exchanges where they refuse to accept Bitcoin that has been, has been coin joined. Um, so this does happen. This can happen. You are in it. You are in a, you are in the area of what is called tainted Bitcoin at that point. Now there's some interesting, there's some interesting things that follow from that. First of all, the more people coin join or sorry, whirlpool, whirlpool and coin join. These are kind of similar terms here, but the more people whirlpool, the more there is a history of whirlpooling on every, every chunk of Bitcoin out there in the wild. So at some point, and I hope that that point comes, uh, there will be, you know, let's say there's 20 or 30% of Bitcoin. You can't do it it's, 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 it, it would kill your own business, right? Exactly. Exactly. Just like, VPN discrimination today. The more people use VPNs, the more companies say, well, look, we can't just block VPNs because we're cutting off 20 or 30% of our customers. So there's that argument of just stick with it, just keep going. Um, there's the argument that companies are going to just be welcoming of Bitcoin more generally for that reason uh, in the future. But uh, sure, it might be wise if you have plans to use Bitcoin in the future to segment your KYC Bitcoin and say, okay, I'm not going to do anything quote unquote suspicious with that Bitcoin because I have plans for it. Um, and of course, uh, another thing we should say with private Bitcoin is it is more difficult to use that Bitcoin to do investing or leveraging or any of these complex maneuvers that a Coinbase or various other entities make very easy, right? That's the great thing about Coinbase and all of these Bitcoin services is they make it very easy to exchange your Bitcoin, sell it to somebody else, do whatever you want with it. And that's much more difficult to use it as an investment kind of vehicle if you're taking the private route. So what do you say to the person who says, instead of all this complicated crap, why don't you just use Monero or why don't you just use Pirate Chain or one of these other um, fully encrypted uh, cryptocurrencies? Um, and maybe not from an investor standpoint, but from, you know, I have transactions I want to be fully private, so that's what I use for those transactions. Well, I would say use it. You know, use it. Um, I think what you'll find is that fewer people are accepting these things. Um, let's say... Uh, one service that I recommend people is a, a great kind of free speech service in Iceland, a uh, web, website hosting called Orange Website. If you go to Orange Website, they're not going to accept Monero because Monero is not popular. Uh, Bitcoin is popular, so they're going to accept it. So you have a lot more acceptability when you're using Bitcoin, and that's because it's more popular, has a bigger market share, uh, it's more spread out, uh, all these various things, and more people trust it. So um, I'd say if you can use Monero, use Monero. 
but I think what you'll find is that there's not as many people accepting of that. And then the next question becomes, well, why don't you, as in Gabriel Custodia, why don't you promote Monero so we get to the point where more people are using Monero? Um, and I, I don't I don't know what to say to that question. I, I tend to tell people to look both into Bitcoin and Monero. And what you'll find is that Monero, or excuse me, Bitcoin is just a lot more popular, and therefore there are a lot more opportunities. So one of the ways that Lightning has really kind of been a game changer with just payments is that a person, me, could send you dollars. And the, the intermediate part of the transaction is actually Lightning, but dollars go in and dollars come out. And we have a word for that in cryptocurrency when it doesn't involve dollars called atomic swaps. Do you think we'll ever get to a point where something like a Monero or something using ZK Snarks or something like that, ring signatures or ZK Snarks, where I send Bitcoin and there's some sort of atomic swap and then the payment at the other end is back to the original form of currency and that would become automated enough that it would be usable enough to kind of like render this whole thing moot? I mean, I know we're not there. Everybody talks about it, but do you think we could ever get there? Yeah, I, I don't have a strong enough sense of, um, of programming cryptography to say for certain whether whether uh, these things are possible and feasible. Um, I think it's possible, uh, or I'd say from what I understand, uh, something like that could be possible. Of course, what you're talking about is, um, you know, if, you still got to have an exchange, right? You have to have an exchange. You have to have a dual exchange, but it's the, the trust is very short duration trust, right? It's it's a single transaction. Uh, if the entity starts violating trust, nobody uses it anymore. But then that entity itself can come under regulation. It's like, I don't see any technical reason, but I do see a lot of regulatory reasons that maybe that doesn't ever really become widespread. Yeah, maybe. Um, I, I'm not an expert on atomic swaps. My understanding is that there's, there's no, no trust involved in, in the actual kind of, um, coding process of, of atomic swapping. It's, it's a very interesting thing. I haven't looked into it enough recently. Um, so don't have, don't have too many developed thoughts on that, but, uh, atomic swap, certainly a uh, vocabulary word for people to look into if they're interested in privacy and especially converting from one, uh, crypto to another. It's definitely something I'm going to have to dig more into because I don't know enough about it myself. Um, you also mentioned in the notes I have here for you about crossing borders with Bitcoin. We talk about Bitcoin as a, as a peer to peer a borderless uh, network where I can, if I want to pay somebody in Japan, it doesn't matter if they're in Japan. If I have an address, I can send to them. We don't need anybody else, no third party. But what about individuals crossing borders with Bitcoin? Are there maybe some things that people should be aware of? I remember, I remember way back in the day hearing that people would be like, you know, maybe this would be an example of what not to do, but they were in a Bitcoin t-shirt or they had a Bitcoin patch on a bag or something in, in an airport and airport security, because they had no idea what they were talking about, were saying, I want to see the Bitcoins, because they thought they were actual physical coinage. Um, <laughs> but I think there are things that maybe you wouldn't want to cause to identify you if you were traveling internationally or something like that. Is that what you mean by that? Um, well, what I, let me, let me break this down, because I think that when, when people understand how, how, what Bitcoin is, how it works, and that you can cross borders with your seed phrase in your head, and no computers whatsoever and still have access to that Bitcoin on the other side, you see how radical a tool that Bitcoin can be. So going to kind of the nature of Bitcoin, Bitcoin does not exist. When you have a wallet, your Bitcoin is not in the wallet. Um, your Bitcoin, Bitcoin is simply, when you boil it down, Bitcoin is an Excel spreadsheet of numbers 
that has to the side of it who owns that chunk of Bitcoin at that point in time. Now, that Excel spreadsheet, it's not an Excel spreadsheet, but it's just a list. It's a ledger. It's the blockchain. exists on the computers that are running the Bitcoin core software, right? What we call nodes. And these are running all across the world. There's thousands of these things. That's what we mean by it's decentralized. It doesn't exist in one place. And so when we understand that, we realize that we are never actually in possession of our Bitcoin. We simply have the private keys that allow us to point at the blockchain and say, hey, that's my chunk of Bitcoin. And so when you understand that, you can realize that, okay, I have a seed phrase. A seed phrase is basically a 12-word sequen- sequence, which is in- essentially instantiating your private keys, right? So if you have your seed phrase, you have your private keys. You memorize your 12-word seed phrase. You wipe your computer. You destroy your computer if you want. You go anywhere in the world, cross borders, go through airports. Um, I recently had a, the other day an instance of, of getting uh, an extra interrogation in an airport for some stupid reason, but it happens all the time. Um, you cross your borders, and on the other side, you find a computer. You download any wallet, really, or back to your Sparrow wallet. You can revive that seed phrase on that computer, and bam, there's all your Bitcoin. Um, so that's what I mean by how radical it can be. Um, but just sitting at your 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 home uh, in terms of you know paying other people in other countries, Bitcoin is in the way I described it, it's permissionless. So if you're using your um, your your non-custodial wallet, you have your Bitcoin and you can send it to any address jack anywhere in the world, and that is amazing. Like you could send it to people in Russia, you could send it to somebody in China, you could send it to somebody anywhere, right? Try doing that with a bank account, right? Try doing that with a Coinbase account. Coinbase has stopped people from sending crypto uh, to to Russia. So that's how powerful it can be. And I just want people to recognize that and so that they can consider if they want to do that or not, because it's really, really powerful when described in that way. Yeah, and that's why like, I continue to recommend both KYC and non-KYC exchanges because, as we talked about earlier, you probably might in the future want some of this, if you have a significant amount of your wealth in it, available to do certain things with that you might want it to be, you know, quote-unquote pristine, and you might want some completely private. But it almost shows the futility there. Well, Coinbase is going to block, block transactions in Russia. Okay, so I'm going to withdraw my Bitcoin off Coinbase, which I should have done already, to a, custo- a, a, a non-custodial wallet. Then I'm going to send it wherever I want to. And I, I, I want to kind of get your opinion on, like, you know, what are your thoughts on, like, running your own node and, and taking complete and total self-custody of things? Right. right. So, so um, um, and, and one thing that we should mention in, in your scenario there is, okay, we, we send the the Bitcoin to somebody who also has a non-custodial wallet in Russia. What are they yeah. going to do with that? Right. Um, yeah. If, if you can't get it back onto a, a service, you're, you're a little bit limited in what you can buy. I, I already described some things like you can buy a website hosting. You can buy a VPN with Bitcoin. There's all kinds of yeah. digital stuff you can buy. There's a great website called bitsrefill.com. You can actually buy mm-hmm. gift cards with Bitcoin that yeah. opens up a ton of doors. Uh, I don't think that's available in, in Russia, I would guess. So there are some problems getting back onto right into uh, the, the, uh, the service economy when, when you have your Bitcoin on a non-custodial wallet. But, um, to, to go back to the other point you were mentioning, which is, uh, Bitcoin nodes. Um, I, I think I have a great episode kind of breaking down what a node is. Just search on, on YouTube or wherever for, uh, Bitcoin nodes and privacy. And what a node is, as I described, is a node is simply a computer that is running the, the Bitcoin core software. And you can go to GitHub. You can actually read the code for yourself. 
This is Bitcoin. This is all of the protocols, all the stuff about private keys, public keys. This is the code of Bitcoin that you're running on your node. And so whenever you're using Bitcoin, your wallet, whenever you're using Bitcoin, you're a miner, you are connecting to a node because a node is kind of the gatekeeper. The, the node is the, the machine running the Bitcoin software that says, look, here's how it's supposed to be. And I'm going to verify that this is the case, right? That's what the node is doing. And so you're always using a node. Um, if you don't know what node you're using, you're probably using somebody else's node. So let's say in this example, you start up your Sparrow wallet, you download it like I suggested, you start up your Sparrow wallet, you just go with the default settings. Well, you're loaning a node that uh, Sparrow owns. So you're trusting somebody else's node. And that node has uh, a little bit, it, it has a little bit of, of power over you. Um, and so could, could it be a nefarious node? Um, there's always that, you know, slight, slight possibility. Um, the node sees certain things about you. It can see, uh, the amount in your wallet. Um, it can see your UTXOs. It can, it can, it has a little bit of more information about you that other entities would not have. And so, sure, if you want to go from 95% privacy to 100%, um, privacy and sovereignty, you could run your own Bitcoin, uh, node. And you can buy these pre-built. Uh, one I talk about is the uh, Ronin Dojo Tonto, which is a mouthful. The Ronin Dojo Tonto, which is a privacy-focused wallet, uh, privacy, because uh, it has certain features like it, it funnels everything through the Tor network, which is nice. Um, you could buy a pre-built. You could make your own uh, just so that you can verify that when I have my Sparrow wallet, I've connected it to my own node. So I am running, I'm running Bitcoin. And so if Bitcoin everywhere else was destroyed, I would actually be holding the flame of Bitcoin. I would still be Bitcoin myself. So that's interesting. But also you would have more privacy because no uh, no third party node is seeing, uh, you know, minimal information about your wallet. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it makes perfect sense. That's why I kind of brought it up. I think the other thing that you were hitting on there with you don't actually hold your Bitcoin, you hold your keys. I've, I've said for a couple of years now, and I never had a good way to make the mind of the person that doesn't get what I'm saying understand it, that there is no Bitcoin in your wallet. I actually think wallets may be not a, a great term uh, to use, but it's the term we have, and there's been a movement to change it. It's not going to happen. Let's accept it. So I think one of the ways to help people understand, well, if, if my Bitcoin's not in my wallet, what is in my wallet? Your wallet holds your keys. The blockchain holds all the Bitcoin. And I think if people can make that mental shift, a lot of the things that you're talking about or that I talk about or my other guests talk about starts to make a lot more sense. There has to be, because if we're going to call it a wallet, there has to be something in there. Well, it's the keys that are used to sign transactions on the blockchain. All the Bitcoin exists in the blockchain. And it, again, it doesn't even really exist. It's just a, there is no Bitcoin in a way. It's just there's a ledger, and Bitcoin is the primary unit of account, and then we break that down into, what is it, 100 million Satoshis per Bitcoin so that we can keep track of which address transacted with what's address, and then we know for a fact that um, we'll, we'll call my address Jack and your ad address Gabriel, that Jack sent Gabriel uh, 0.25 Bitcoin, and that 2.25 is accounted for. And it can't be duplicated. It can't be Control-C, Control-V. But both of us, all we really hold are keys so that we can make changes on the ledger of the stuff that's on the ledger in our name. And then this is where it gets, confuses people. It's not really in our name. It's We, we have a particular account, uh, well, not account number, a particular address that we can modify. Does that make sense? 
No, that makes sense to me. Um, and I think people need to, to hear that, that description of Bitcoin more and more because as I said, it's the key to understanding how radical it is. You don't, uh, I, I, I talk to, look, I love all the people who are developing things in Bitcoin and I've interviewed a lot of them on my podcast and I, I, I think it's fantastic. But for example, there is what's called a hardware wallet, right? And this is a physical, like it's a physical thing that you have and it's, in my opinion, it gives the illusion that this thing holds my Bitcoin, right? It's a physical thing because what people want, they want something real, right? They want something physical. So it gives the perfect illusion that this is, my Bitcoin is in here. Um, and as you said, that's not the case. Your Bitcoin is part of the ledger, which is on all of these nodes around the world. And your wallet is simply giving you these, these keys in order to kind of point to the blockchain and say, that's my bit. That's my bit. Um, and one of the people I interviewed who makes a hardware wallet said, that, um, I, you know, I, I think we shouldn't, like, you, you talked about what wallets not holding Bitcoin. I don't think we should confuse people. But I think we should tell people the truth, which is that if you have that hardware wallet, you know, that's not, you know, your Bitcoin is not on there. Um, that is, like, you could destroy that device and still have access to your Bitcoin as long as you have your seed phrase. Um, and so th- there is an incentive to promote the idea um, that wallets hold Bitcoin, but there are reasons to uh, there are reasons to avoid that simplicity because, as I said, if you just remember your seed phrase, you could destroy every wallet you've ever had. You could destroy your hardware wallet. You could destroy your computers. And as long as you have that seed phrase, you can go anywhere in the world and resuscitate your Bitcoin wallet and have access to it. That is the power of the blockchain. It doesn't exist with you. It exists around the world. And you can tap into it anytime you want as long as you have the private keys. I think one of the most empowering things a person who's new to Bitcoin can do is I don't even care the wallet you do this, because we're talking about small amounts, 25, 50 bucks worth of Bitcoin. Uh, set up a wallet and use that wallet to manage that 25 to 50 bucks worth of Bitcoin. Get a totally different wallet. Use your seed phrase and restore a totally different wallet with the same amount of Bitcoin. So your brain goes click and it locks in and you understand a couple things. One, that you have that power, but two, the absolute necessity that that phrase does not get in anybody else's hands. Cause I don't need it. And I think this is what people don't understand. Like I don't need to know what wallet you used. I don't care what wallet you used. If I get your seed phrase, anything that that, that seed phrase is the, the, the unlock for, I can take and move anywhere I want. And there's nothing you can do to ever get it back. But if you have it, there's nothing anybody can ever do to take it away from you as long as you don't give it up. And I think that people have a hard time getting there because I get questions all the time. You know, I'm, I was using XYZ wallet and I need to restore it. And do I need to use the same? Like, no, you, as long as you have the seed phrase, you can get that Bitcoin back. And that is kind of radical. Oh, oh absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, the, the one thing that I, I, I will say. Uh, about the benefit, for example, of a hardware wallet is that the hardware wallet, uh, as you said, uh, protecting your seed phrase is the key, right? That is the key to owning your Bitcoin uh, and owning it privately, right? Is protecting that seed phrase. And there's there's various ways you can do it. You can commit it to memory. You could, you know, have certain part, parts of a book where you ha- underline certain words, however you want to do it. Um, in my Bitcoin course, which I'll mention later, uh, my my co-producer sort of talks about uh, kind of memorization techniques, right? There are there are um, you can you can buy and and stamp uh, metal plates uh, that can survive. Uh, house fires and such. There's all kinds of ways to protect your, your seed phrase. Um, because that is, that is the most important thing at the end of the day, as I said. But 
I will say one thing for hardware wallets. The benefit of a hardware wallet is that it is a device, it's a little computer, um, that when you start it up, it is going to generate a seed phrase for you that has never, on a device that's never touched the internet. Um, and at, at some point you will have to connect the hardware wallet to a, a, a hot wallet, right? A wallet that's actually connected to the, to the Bitcoin, um, uh, blockchain in order for you to use it. But even when you do that, it's kind of, it's using partial information. So that's, that's the ingenuity of hardware wallets. Um, not, not to be, uh, underestimated. It's not storing your Bitcoin. It is allowing you a separate device that has created a seed phrase, uh, unconnected from the internet. So there are some security practices is what I'm saying. When you generate that seed phrase, do it on a clean computer or do it from a hardware wallet. Um, and yeah, um, that's, yeah. Well, yeah. And I can also generate a string of addresses that will go to that hardware wallet and I can receive with that wallet it never being connected. And then I'm only actually vulnerable to some sort of a hack, let's say other than the seed phrase itself, while I'm using it. So if I'm walking around very stupidly with all of my wealth on my phone or I have it all on my laptop under the control of a software wallet, the device itself is a security risk. Now, you should have passwords and everything, but you, you see what I'm saying? Like somebody gets that device, uh, there's a lot of ways that they can use you know, key logging tech or something like that, where if I have that kind of air-gapped hardware wallet, well, that particular access point is that now in a fireproof safe drilled into the floor of my house or something like that. Whereas my phone is with me everywhere I go and I find that people leave phones in places they shouldn't all the time. And so I think that like there's, there's kind of like, it's not that I won't carry any Bitcoin that I can access with my phone. I certainly do, but it's, it would be the amount that I would be comfortable carrying around in cash. It's not the amount that I would keep, let's say, in a, uh, a you know a savings account or a checking account or an IRA. I wouldn't carry my whole net worth around like that. And I think that, sadly, there's people that you finally get them off an exchange, but then they turn around and, and that's what they're doing. Yeah, they, yeah, they, they do, do that, or they or they lose the seed phrase, or or they forget it, or something because they're they're trying to be too cute with their privacy techniques. So um, yeah, understand what a seed phrase is. Double down on how you're going to protect that and preserve that on what kind of device you're going to allow that to exist. Um, probably on any kind of phone, you don't have any significant amount of Bitcoin at all. Um, that's a good practice because your phone goes with you, right? Your phone is very vulnerable. Uh, you could have a dedicated computer. You could have a virtual uh, box within your computer that, uh, so you don't have to buy a second computer. You just run virtual box and you have a second operating system within your computer. And that's the thing that kind of runs your, um, runs, runs your Sparrow wallet, which if you're in your Sparrow wallet, you can look at your seed phrase. You can look at it directly on the screen. So that is a vulnerability. You have to uh, be careful, uh, about where that device is and who has access to that and all these other kind of good things. Yeah. I mean, there's been, um, breaches where we found out that a particular app was randomly taking screenshots or at specific intermittent uh, times taking screenshots of whatever was up on a person's phone. Just, just for one example. So that's, that's, I'm also a big fan of hardware wallets myself. Um, can we talk, is there any other uh, vulnerabilities that Bitcoin has that you want to highlight here toward the end and how we can offset them? Well, I'll just build off what you were saying there, which is if you are going to have your money on a, your digital money on a digital device, then you want to have good operational security on that device. And so, um, like in my privacy course, the first thing that we do, my Bitcoin privacy course, the first thing we do is I say, look, watch this privacy tutorial. Okay. 
Can you get off of Windows and Mac and onto Linux? I think everybody can do that. Can you uh, be very, very careful um, about what you click on in your emails and what you download and have kind of isolation within your computer if you do want to do something like torrenting? Uh, I'm not advocating that, but uh, things of this sort. Um, do you uh, use a VPN? Do you um, uh, have a, a, well, if you're using Linux, you tend not to need uh, an antivirus software, and I'm not an advocate of antivirus software. It's a, it's quite an invasive thing. Uh, but are you doing all these privacy practices, which I talk about in my podcast and, and in my privacy book that I have? Um, are you doing all these things first? Get your house in order before you start putting your digital money uh, into that house. Now, a um, because I have such good practices, I don't really need feel the need for a hardware wallet. Uh, but other people will need a hardware wallet because they're not as clean on their computer. But what I'm saying is anytime you deal with Bitcoin, make sure you're behind a VPN. Make sure you're using the Tor browser if you're using an online peer-to-peer exchange. Uh, make sure that you have things locked down because it's a digital money and it has digital vulnerabilities. You know, there's a great point in there that I almost forgot when we were having the node discussion. If you're running your own node and all your transactions go through your node, and your node is sitting on uh, an Internet connection with no protection plugged into the IP address that you have from your ISP. It takes about three seconds to say probably anything, you know, because it's not, you're not going to have 500,000 transactions a day going through there like some big exchange or something to say, I, I bet everything that's on that IP of that node belongs to this person. So if you're running your own node, you also have to take that into account and, you know, run that behind Tor, VPN, what have you. Yeah, and, yeah. and right right now somebody is screaming, all these all these um, exceptions, things that you're adding on, it's already so complicated. Look, I understand. Uh, one thing that you can do to just have a nice node that's yours and that is that connects to the Samurai wallet, which is a great wallet, and which runs through Tor so you don't have to worry about what Jack just described, uh, you could check out something like the Ronin Dojo Tonto Um uh, I had an interview with their creators on my podcast recently. You can go check that out. I asked them all of these kinds of questions. So, yes, what what I like to do, Jack, is, and this is how I kind of start my privacy guide, is I like to start with the fundamentals. Okay, what, like, who who knows what I'm doing right now? Like, how does this system work? Who knows what I'm doing? And if you start to think like that, you start thinking, okay, so I have an Internet service provider, and they can see certain things of what I'm doing. Okay, so I'm going to use a VPN. And maybe I use a VPN at the router level. I take a little bit of time to learn that. So all of my uh, house traffic house traffic is funneled through a VPN. And you can kind of go through some of these fundamental procedures to the point where you not only understand the systems around you, but you have the tools in place to protect yourself from them. And you do have uh, a way people can learn more about all this stuff, like a privacy guide and a book or, or what have you. Do you want to talk about that? And I think you had kind of a special offer uh, for our listeners for the next week. Well, you're asking me, Jack, if I if I want to plug, and uh, absolutely. <laughs> of course I'll plug. <laughs> plug away, bro. <laughs> well, I have the Watchman Privacy Podcast. You can find that in pretty much anywhere, uh, except for certain uh, things like uh, Podcast 2.0, which I'll, I'll, I'll get on top of, Jack. Uh, so the Watchman Privacy Podcast, if you go to Amazon, I have a book, The Watchman Privacy Guide. That's just a, a great tutorial, all the basics of, of privacy right there. And, yes, I do have a Bitcoin privacy course, which I talk about all the stuff I talked about here and more uh, in much more depth. And, you know, that took hundreds of hours to complete. And I condensed that into into um, uh, a few hours. 
And so one thing I find, Jack, is that people are very smart in the Bitcoin community, but they're not great at boiling things down to basic concepts. And so that's why I created this thing myself. So if you go to bitcoinprivacycourse.com, that's my um, that's that's the course. And I have a discount, a discount code uh, in honor of being on the show. Just type in uh, breakout, breakout, lowercase, whatever, it doesn't matter. And you'll get a 25% discount on that course. Uh, that will only last for about seven days after this is published. So don't waste your time there. Um, that supports me. That also is great knowledge. Um, I hope you've got a sense over the last hour that I like to break these things down, uh, stick to the fundamentals, um, not assume any prior knowledge, not use overly technical vocabulary as much as I can. That's, that's what you can expect from my work. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's my work in a nutshell. Well, I really appreciate you being with us today. I'm going to real quick, if I can do it without screwing anything up for the video anyway, bring this up on the screen. Um, I've already dropped the discount code in there. I'll make sure all this stuff is available in the show notes. Show notes were pretty done because I actually got ahead of things today, and uh, it, it is available. Uh, uh, Bitcoin breakout and the Bitcoin breakout either way and look up today's episode. And I do have everything from Gabriel uh, that he sent me in the show notes today. And, man, I really appreciate you being with us. I think that there's I think there's a lot more coming as far as tools. I think that the kind of things that you're you're using right now and you're advocating right now are really uh, important. But I think long term, we may get into a point where a lot more of this becomes a little bit easier for people. I've been really interested in what like uh, there's a project called an impervious browser I think that's going to do a lot for privacy. One thing I'd like to finish with is that like privacy that we're talking about, we're talking about it in relation to Bitcoin, but it's not just about Bitcoin. It really isn't because let's say you were using Monero on a Monero wallet, but you didn't have any of the other privacy stuff in place. If you were specifically targeted, then I can see everything that's on your end of the computer. If I know what I'm looking for on the other end and that person's security is weak, there's the privacy thing here. Yes, we're talking about it with Bitcoin, but I think that people need to be more aware of the need for privacy period on their devices. Oh, well, you're, 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 you're preaching to the priest, not just the choir, uh, my friend. <laughs> but, uh, um, no, I, I, I totally agree. I think that, um, you were saying before we started that you think that uh, you've reached a point where there's too much out there for you. Um, there's nothing can be done. I think there's always something that can be done. I think that the people who know things about you are not the same group of people. And so you can continue to expose more and more about yourself. Um, if you, you know, to, to additional new parties. And so there's always a point where you can start practicing privacy. You can start learning and, and using VPNs, uh, learning to be minimalist. One thing I'm skeptical of, you mentioned like new, easier technologies in the future. Um, anytime something is easy, I, I, I do fear that people lose touch with the kind of the fundamentals of how that works. Um, that's yeah. one reason why the Bitcoin privacy community, like they don't like the hardcore community, they don't they don't use lightning uh, whatsoever uh, at this point. They have their own reasons for that. I can't speak to that. You, know, you, could, you should definitely have, I can recommend some people who can talk about okay. uh, that, but um, no, totally right. Uh, protect your privacy. I mean, that that's fundamental, right? The fundamental essence of reality is that we each have a private mind and we let certain things in, but we have to be aware of what those things are that we're letting in. And private property is an extension of that basic fundamental essence of reality. Um, you know, all the all the, all the things that are ours um, need to be protected, and privacy techniques, um, whether that is you know keeping your address off of public records, using a VPN, uh, using all the fabulous software 
that is out there using encryption, uh, using a password manager that's offline, using more and more offline software, learning to use and love Linux, uh, which doesn't have a lot of the spying that uh, Windows and, and Mac has on it, learning not to use your phone so much. And when you do use your phone, use better apps uh, on it and acquiring that phone privately and acquiring your SIM card for that phone privately. There are all kinds of things that you can do. Um, and, you know, as a, as I, as I quoted, when I was talking to you at the beginning, John Paul Sartre says, it's never too late to make yourself out of what you've been made into. No, I would agree with that. And what I was talking about when I said it's too late for me to, to pull that horse back is more along the lines of as the host of this show, as a media personality, I, I could immediately tomorrow decide I am some other name and put a dark screen in front of me and survival podcast in my 15 years of work is pretty much known, but I completely agree with you on as far as bleeding your privacy and using proper tools. Uh, we're, you know, one of our show sponsors is, is start nine embassies, uh, servers that, that brings a lot of privacy tools, uh, into play as well, along with the ability to run completely decentralized your own node in a little box. And, uh, I think we're going to get, we're going to move more and more in the right direction. And anyway, man, I appreciate you being with us today. Again, the uh, website, watchmanprivacy.com. Uh, Gabriel also, again, has his own podcast. Uh, he has this, this great uh, instructional that teaches you how to do a lot of this stuff with that discount code breakout for the next week. Links in the show notes. Man, thank you for being with us today, Gabriel. Uh, thank you. And remember, Privacy Technique 101, do not be the host of the podcast. <laughs> I think that's, that's probably right. Thanks again, man. Thank you. Very thought-provoking discussion with Gabriel. Uh, I, I do have, again, all the links to everything that he sent me anyway, uh, including his book called The Watchman's Guide to Privacy that's on Amazon in the show notes today, both at thesurvivalpodcast.com and thebitcoinbreakout.com. If you've been keeping track of stuff with uh, our progress at Bitcoin Breakout, this is the 24th show. There was a Bitcoin breakout episode, so we're still very young with that. But those tuning in uh, straight only from the Bitcoin breakout side, I have been podcasting for almost 15 years now. My show is The Survival Podcast, as you've heard several times during this. Uh, we've been on the air forever. We're one of the longest-running, continuously-running podcasts out there. I think we have the highest number of uh, consecutive uh, episodic shows listed uh, on you know all the podcasts. So come check us out if you haven't uh, done so before. With that, as we wrap up today, one of the ways that I uh, help fund everything that we do here at the Survival Podcast is through product reviews. And I, uh, I run those as a, an Amazon affiliate. And you can find all my reviews at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. That way it's so easy you can't – how can you forget tspaz? Whenever you're going to shop online, you can go there, read all my reviews. But it doesn't matter what you buy. As long as you start there, you help support the show and the work that we do. The item of the day that I have for you today is one I've brought around many times. I've sold literally thousands of these. That's from my favorite value electronics brand, Anchor, A-N-K-E-R. Uh, and if you are looking for an electronics product and you don't want to pay top price for a high-end brand name, I would see if Anchor has it in whatever it is. If they have it, I would trust Anchor because if they're, you get a DOA or something that happens in electronics, they're going to make it right. That's why after thousands of, of, of the Bluetooth speaker I'm going to talk about here in a second that I've sold, I've never heard a bad word from an audience member about Anchor. I've never heard a bad word from an audience member about Anchor about anything. I have heard, I got this thing, it was broken, it got damaged, whatever, and they just replaced it. That's what I'm looking for because in electronics, again, you got, you'll get a bad product now and again. 
Okay, so today's product is the Soundcore waterproof Bluetooth speaker, the 12-watt version. It normally sells for $40, and I think it's a deal. It's on sale today for $30. Great gift. Again, 60 days from Christmas, like I said earlier. Um, the couple things I like about this. One, it is truly waterproof. I threw it in the pool to find out, and it, it really is. It really is waterproof. Uh, I don't recommend that, but I did it, and it didn't die. My wife drove over one with our Subaru. That didn't kill it. I still don't recommend that you do that. But I'm just saying, this is a tough little speaker. It has a great sound quality for what it is. Again, this is not a $300 Bose or something like that. I own one of those, too. But you know what? When I go somewhere, like to the beach or to hang out at a state park and fish or something, I don't take my $300 speaker with me and risk it. I take one of these. But I also keep two of these because they pair. So you actually have two paired, so you have full stereo sound, one on each side, and I keep a pair of these, and I take them out when I work in my shop or what have you, because I have AV in the garage, but not the workshop. So when I'm in there, I have full surround sound stereo. When I'm working in my garden, I have these giant poles on the two back beds. I put one on each pole, and I have like this rocking music going on. Same when I'm out at the pool. We listen to them in the house and what have you. They're just great, and at 30 bucks, you can get a pair of them for 60 at least while they're on sale. Again, great gift, waterproof, brand you know you can trust, IPX7 waterproof. Uh, and here's my other thing. Bluetooth devices go into two camps for me. I want to kill the person that thinks they made a good device, and I love it. Those are your two. It's, it's all that it is. And what I mean by that is when you go to sync, it either syncs easily every time or you have all kinds of crap that you have to deal with. Honest to God, my $300 Bose speaker, now it is a few generations old now, I have more trouble at times trying to get that to sync with my phone or my wife's phone or what have you than I ever do with the Anchor product. The Anchor products just work. And once you have a pair that knows each other, you turn them on, they just work. And they still work individually as well. Two is one, one is nine. So check them out. And again, remember, you can find all the stuff I recommend at tspaz.com. With that, I'll wrap up. Let you guys know tomorrow I have no less than the Duke of Permaculture himself, Paul Wheaton, coming on. We're going to talk about rocket stove and rocket heater technology. We're going to talk about a bunch of other stuff, too. He is currently running a Kickstarter for the Garden Master program, uh, which is kind of like Master Gardener, but done the right way with Helen Athrow. This thing has broken all kinds of records for Paul with his Kickstarters. This is like his 11th Kickstarter. It funded in something like 10 minutes. Uh, I didn't even check today, but the last time I checked it, it funded up over $75,000, all kinds of add-ons. So I'm sure we'll talk about that. If Again, if you are from the... Uh, the Bitcoin-only side. You found this podcast like another Bitcoiner. I'll check this out. And you're like, this is a little different. I like this. Come check out the rest that we do. This is what I've learned about Bitcoiners over the years. There's like the path from Bitcoiner to this world we're talking about over here and the path from this world we're talking about over here to Bitcoin. And there's a lot of convergence between the two. The thing about Bitcoin is it reveals the truth about money. It reveals that it is in itself truth. And by looking at truth, you know a lie. So, so many people find Bitcoin because they learn the lie of fiat, or they find Bitcoin so they figure out the lie of fiat. And they realize that the most powerful mechanism of control in the world is money. There is nothing that has been used to control people more than money. You want to say war or, or force of the state. You take away money from the state and none of it happens. You can't fund a war with thoughts and prayers and wishes. A war is funded with money. 
You can't fund a Gestapo to go door-to-door and grab people out of their homes without money. Those guys want to be paid. Okay? You see how it works. Like Money is the mechanism of control of the world. And when you look at other mechanisms of control, like food, money, money controls. So people find Bitcoin one way or another, and they realize that the, the modern monetary system in of itself is a lie. And then if you don't get something I'll be talking about on Thursday, you want to tune in Thursday for Just Jack Show, we're going to talk about something called German amnesia. If you don't get German amnesia, right, and you realize that if I was lied to about this, maybe I was lied to about things like diet, maybe I was lied to about how much I'm being protected by government, maybe I've been lied to about how much uh, there is in place to help me if there's a crisis, maybe I need to be a little more prepared, maybe I've been lied to about what a good diet is, maybe I've been lied to about a lot of things. So this quest for truth happens, and that's why so many, you know, quote-unquote Bitcoin bros, because there's a lot of sisters in the Bitcoin world too, right? The Bitcoin bros, like, they, they used to be all code bros, but now they're like, they're all guys that work out, and they're all guys that eat carnivore, and they're all guys that, like, you know, do homesteading, and there's a reason. And it is the reason that Bitcoin Breakout exists as a thing unto itself instead of just a weekly show at TSP. Because I want this to be an on-ramp for people from the Bitcoin community to realize, yes, you were lied to about money from the time you were born until you broke the lie. And there's a lot of other shit that they've been lying to you about. So tune in tomorrow, hear from the Duke of Permaculture. If you don't know what permaculture is, we'll tell you tomorrow. With that's been Jack Spierko, another edition of the Survival Podcast and the Bitcoin Breakout. You pull yourself up, they keep bringing you down. Are they gonna bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month.